Well, hello there. Hello. This is Ashley. This is also Ashley. <laughs> and we are... We're <laughs> <laughs> the Hex Girlfriends. So we're a little sleep deprived. <laughs> well, just a little bit. A little bit. Much like one of our main characters in this story that I'm going to tell today. Our first episode, Ashley told us the super cool story about the Bell Witch. And that was something that was close to her home. And I decided to share a story about something that I grew up with close to my home. Yes. The story that I'm going to tell you has been the subject of many TV shows, podcasts, and paranormal investigations. It's even been on Geraldo Rivera and Jerry Springer. <laughs> Jerry! Jerry! <laughs> Steve! What makes this version a little more special is that I am local to it. In northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio, there's a little old roadhouse in Wilder, Kentucky called Bobby Mackey's Music World. Oh, I've never heard of that. Sounds fancy, right? Yeah. So it's known for its live music, mechanical bull, and line dancing. I mean, <laughs> it's not a party unless you have a mechanical bull. It's like a David Lynchian dream. It reminds me of the roadhouse in Twin Peaks. And if you've seen that, you'll know exactly what I mean. But if you haven't, the inside is extremely dark, smoky, and illuminated by red lighting. Does it smell? It does. Like <laughs> piss. Sorry, Bobby. So Robert Randall, or Bobby, Mackie performs country music every weekend. And aside from the country music and feel-good party time stuff, he also offers a two-hour guided tour of the establishment. That's a long tour. Is it a big establishment? Or uh, It's not. It's got a lot of history. Okay. And so this tour takes you through the sinister history. Mm, that's my kind of history. Mm -hmm. And it includes an extra special visit at the end to the portal of hell. Sign me up. <laughs> a first-class ticket. <laughs> It's been deemed the most haunted bar in the United States, and it is most notably known for its spectral residence and rich history of supernatural folklore. There's even a disclaimer above the entrance that basically says, hey, y'all, this place is haunted and we're not responsible for anything that happens while you're here. I mean, that's not a red flag or anything. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in Northern Kentucky, I can remember as far back as the first grade hearing kids talk about parents or family members who had experiences at Bobby Mackey's. But I didn't know how prominent this place and its stories would become in the paranormal community. I mean, it's bananas. I mean, the shit is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a Catholic elementary school and I remember sitting at the lunch table one day across from a little boy in my class and his daddy worked at Bobby Mackey's and he was telling everybody stories about a man who was possessed in the apartment above the bar. He would tell other stories too uh, about employees who worked there. They said they saw ghosts or noises, you know, usual spooky stuff. Wow. Yeah. So those stories are forever burned in my memory. And as a child in a Catholic school, you can imagine that demons were ever present in my curriculum. I mean, as a child in a Catholic school, you've got a bullseye on your head. I mean, watch <laughs> any demonic movie. I want the Catholic kid. They do. I'm not a person of faith at this point in my life, but the idea of possession still terrifies the shit out of me. So, Oh, 100%. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Fast forward to I'm 20 years old and I'm sitting in Florida eating lunch with my boyfriend at the time. And on the TV was a Discovery Channel special that was about Bobby Mackey's. And he yells, hey, that's Carl. 
Pardon? And he goes on to say, that's Carl Lawson, my cousin. Crazy Carl. I can't believe they got his damn story on Discovery Channel. But he did do Jerry Springer once. Wow. Jerry Springer was the mayor of Cincinnati way back when for a little while. And that's just, again, right across the Ohio River from where the story takes place. Uh, so anyways, I'm thinking, how the fuck has this never come up? He didn't talk about that, you know, no. before, on your first date. Like, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm related to a man that used to live <laughs> in the portal of hell. <laughs> Carl is his second cousin, but he's a pretty major fucking figure in this in this story and the paranormal history of Bobby's. He also expressed how Carl suffered from severe alcoholism, so no one really knows what to believe when it comes to his experiences. His family owned a plot of land next to Bobby's, which is likely how Carl came to be employed by Bobby in 1978. But I do want to pause there because I want to tell you some of the history of the property. Oh, okay. Okay, so buckle your seatbelt. Click, click. Keep all those legs, all them arms inside the ride, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. So from the jump, I do want to say that most of what I'm going to tell you is not backed by any credible sources, and there is literally no historical documentation to support most of it. Perfect, because yeah. <laughs> we are here for entertainment reasons. Storytelling, that's right. There is one documented event from the 1800s, and that is a murder that takes place at the beginning of my story. Most of this is supernatural folklore. So at 44 Licking Pike... <laughs> Come again? 44 Licking Pike. What? I mean, Kentucky has the craziest names for towns and roads and bodies of water. There's lots of licks. I got a cow lick. Me too. Oh. Hey. hey. So 44 Licking Pike opened in the mid-1800s as a slaughterhouse and a meatpacking plant. In the basement of the slaughterhouse, they had to install a well or body chute so that they could discard blood and animal waste. This has to empty out somewhere, right? Oh. Yeah, it emptied out into the Licking River behind the property, which is, you know, a source of water. I mean, that would explain a lot yeah. <laughs> for the people that I've met <laughs> in Kentucky. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out. I mean, I would be running around acting like I was possessed if I was drinking the bacteria in this <laughs> mother licking river. Right. You know, we have a blood well and that tunnels straight out to the local water source. So the slaughterhouse eventually shut down sometime in the late 1890s. And that's when it's rumored that the basement started to be used by satanic cultists for ritualistic stuff, general squatting, <laughs> worshiping the devil, you know, hanging out around the blood well. Just doing some general squatting. You know, as one does. Uh, but there is absolutely no evidence of this ever being true, like anywhere. Just a quick trigger warning. And this is the part where I go into a factual documented murder. It's super horrific. It was a young pregnant woman. So. Oh, no. Yes. Fast forward if you're not interested in hearing that. So in 1896, a young man named Johnny Hewling was walking his uncle's property. Now, his, his uncle was named John Locke. I have heard that name before. That is That sounds really familiar. Yeah, that's because it's my, my favorite character from Lost. And Oh, that's right. Yes, and there is another special person in my life that's mm. tied to that name. So when I found this out, it made me feel even more like I needed to tell you this story. It was meant to be. That's right. It was kismet. It was. So Johnny's like 17, and he's walking when he notices a woman lying in the field. And he tries to call out to her several times. He goes, hey, lady. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he gets no answer. He's been drinking that water. He, you know what? <laughs> the closer he gets, the more it hits him like, oh, fuck. That is that is not an alive person. And it's not a mannequin. No, no. It's, it's a lot worse. It's actually a body. 
and it's missing its head. I was just trying to take a fucking walk and enjoy the sunshine. And now I've got to deal with this. After engaging local law enforcement, John Locke went over to Newport because he had a friend there named LD Pook who owned a shoe shop. And he told Pook what had happened. And the guy was like, you know, I want to help. I think I can help here. Can you tell me anything about the shoes she was wearing? And so to make a long story short, this man did all this work just based off that the type of shoe and the size of the shoe found on the body. And it led them all the way back to Greencastle, Indiana. And they were able to identify that those shoes belong to a 22 year old Pearl Bryan. Isn't that wild? In the 1890s? Yeah. Yeah. That's super advanced. That would later on be confirmed also by Pearl's mother when she came to identify the body. The clothes on the body were also Pearl's. I want to talk about Sweet Pearl for just a minute. This young woman was a DePaul University music student from Indiana. So she was smart. She was kind. And she had a passion for music, which that's also close to my heart. Like she had a good life ahead of her. That's right. What's even more unusual is that she's tied to Bobby Mackey's music world. I think she started to want to do as most people do and venture away from her parents. She meets a young man named Scott and he attended the Ohio College of Dentistry in Cincinnati. So she started, you know, to come down towards Northern Kentucky. Now her and Scott Jackson would spend a lot of time together and they would have a lot of fun together. And then Pearl ended up pregnant. I mean, that's a lot of fun. But not back then, because what happens when you get pregnant back then and you weren't wed, you were screwed. You were going to cause some problems with the family. Oh, no. Yeah. So this was not going to go well for Scott, and he encourages her to take care of it and says, hey, I know a guy. That does not sound good. I mean, have you not seen Dirty Dancing? (laughs) It does not go well. No. Scott and his roommate, Alonzo Walling, gave Pearl alcohol and cocaine in an attempt to induce a miscarriage. And when that did not work, they said, all right, well, we'll just have to do it ourselves. And that also does not work. That's terrifying. Yeah. So poor Pearl. Poor Pearl. I really hope that the alcohol and the cocaine were able to help in this moment because these two motherfuckers killed her and then they they cut her head off. So as a last resort, they're like, you know what? Murder. Oh my gosh. They killed Pearl. They took her head and they did that because they didn't want local law enforcement to be able to identify her. They thought that they would be able to get away with that. So they took her body to nearby John Locke's farm. They dumped it, and then they took the head with them. Locke's property was about two miles from where the slaughterhouse was. Two were apprehended at the 44 Licking Pike property. Okay. But the body was not there. We don't know where they put her head between the two places. There's going to be so many stories about where Pearl's head was left. After extensive searches, including draining two local canals, nothing was ever found. Many locals believe that Scott and Alonzo were tied to that satanic call I talked about earlier. Yeah. And that Pearl's head was dumped in the body chute of the slaughterhouse, but it still remains a mystery. Uh, I would not want my head to end up there. I like it attached to my neck. That's preferable. (laughs) Yeah. I bet Pearl wished that too. Both men were convicted and sentenced to hang for the murder, but before the floor drops, Jackson proclaimed he would haunt the area for all eternity. Oh. And this hanging was quite theatrical because it's noted that many people showed up for the execution. They, They were selling merchandise. It's wild. I mean, you hear of the public executions and people like have it written down on their calendars. But the gallows floor drops and um, they don't immediately die. Karma's a bitch. That's right. They just hung there for about three minutes before they, they finally went. So just to point out again that any ties to a satanic cult or one even existing is all speculation. And these rumors went rampant then after the murder. But this will spawn lore about the basement blood well being a portal to hell. 
So that's where we get that from. And then serving as a gateway between worlds that's going to allow demonic entities to show up later in the story. I mean, you got to make a way. You have, you have <laughs> to. How the fuck else are they supposed to get in? I know, they, they'll feel unwelcome. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, yeah, don't. Don't do yeah. that. So after the execution for Pearl's murder, the slaughterhouse building was abandoned for several years. And there's rumors that the cult took up squatting there. And then in the early 1920s, the building was demolished and a new building was built over the existing foundation. But that good old portal to hell remained. They just, they couldn't do without. They couldn't quit it. That's right. Yeah. The building would go on to be used as a speakeasy and under the table casino during Prohibition. So you can imagine what that well was being used for. Transporting all the good goods. That's right. Bringing in the old alcohol through the basement body chute. Fast forward to the 1930s, Prohibition ends, and E.A. Brady or Buck Brady. <laughs> Buck! <laughs> Mother Bucker. <laughs> Howdy, Buck. So he purchases the property and he turns it into a legitimate casino and nightclub and he names it the Primrose. That's pretty. Yes. And Buck actually has quite a bit of success with the Primrose. He is in love with the place. He's really successful so much that he catches the attention of Albert Red Masterson, who is a Cincinnati mob boss. That's never a good... I don't think you want to be on that radar. So Red really wanted in on the operations of the Primrose because of how successful they were. And Buck told him to fuck off. I mean, of course Buck did. Yeah. I would expect... None less. No, that's right. He said, get out of here, you motherfucker. <laughs> Red was not cool with that. Okay. So the two get out their guns and patrons are getting beat up in the parking lot. Shit goes awry and Buck shoots Red and lands himself with a murder charge. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, that's going to force him to sell the primrose to the old mob. Ah, uh, but got the, the anger got the best of him. It sure did. In the 1950s, the mob takes over the primrose and it becomes the Latin Quarter. I am not sure who owns the Latin Quarter historically, just that this is where it changes hands. From here on out, we don't know what's fact and what's not. Okay. Okay. But it's said that it's run by the mob, and a lot of nonsense goes on during this stretch as the Latin Quarter. Lots of violence, crime, you know, mob stuff. And a young dancer at the nightclub by the name of Johanna is said to be the daughter of the owner slash mob boss. Johanna was, was pretty cool. She was rumored to smell really strongly of roses. Ooh. Like fresh cut roses. People don't say that when I come around. No. I don't think, <laughs> why does she look mean? That's what they say about me. <laughs> I want to point out here that Johanna is also pregnant. Damn. Yeah. And she's in love with Latin Quarter's crooner, Robert Randall. Is that Bobby's name? That is Bobby motherfucking Mackey's name. Fuck it. I knew it. <laughs> So you can see where there's some questionable parts of the story. Uh-huh. It's a quinky dink. It sure is, because Robert Randall was a crooner at the Latin Quarter, and Bobby Mackey's a country musician. Okay. At the Slaughterhouse Roadhouse. Slaughterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can deduce from that little tidbit what you want. Johanna and Robert in love is not a good thing because her, her dad's pissed about it. He doesn't like this. And so he and his men hang Robert in his dressing room. And when Johanna finds out what her father has done, she is heartbroken, but she is enraged beyond belief. She's going to fuck her daddy up. So she poisons her dad and herself because she doesn't want to live without Robert. And she kills them both. What in the Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> oh, my Lord. I know. I think they took a page out of old Bill Shakespeare's book. This incident kills both her and her father and her unborn child. Then again, in some point in the 60s, the nightclub changes hands again. It becomes a hard rock cafe, but not the chain hard rock cafe. Oh, okay. It's just like a little cafe they call hard rock. This turned out to be a complete shit show. <laughs> 
And after multiple murders and just overall raucous and unsavory behavior, the local government was like, all right, we've shut it. We're done here. It's ran its covers. We hope you guys had fun because we're done. <laughs> so 44 Licking Pike has now been a slaughterhouse meatpacking plant, satanic squatters haven, home to multiple murders, suicides, and just overall bullshit. So in 1978, when Bobby Mackey and his wife Janet saw the property, Bobby jumps at the opportunity. You know, it's inexpensive. It's already structured as a nightclub and bar, and that was his dream. Having been a violent shithole, it sat for about a decade. It was going to need a lot of renovations and repairs before they could finally open and operate Bobby's dream venue. Bobby and his pregnant wife. Another pregnant woman. Mm -hmm. They don't do well in this story. No. Bobby and his pregnant wife, Janet, get to work on the building in 1978. And a local man who was about 20 at the time named Carl Lawson. Where have we heard that? That's somebody I used to know's cousin. (laughs) Somebody that I used to know. That's exactly where my head was going. Carl Lawson, he's 20. He shows up and he's like, hey, how y'all doing? I'm looking for work. I mean, he's a go-getter. He sure is. He saw an opportunity. He hopped on it just like Bobby. So Bobby needs all the help he can get. And he hires Carl to come on as the handyman and ultimately long-term caretaker. Okay. Bobby gives him the apartment above the bar in exchange for help with renovations. So he's got like free lodging as long as he works there and... Yeah. Okay. Uh, Here we go. Very early on, Janet and Carl both start to have strange experiences. Janet expresses some of her experiences to Bobby, but he maintains to this day even that he does not believe in anything supernatural. And Janet, it's an old building. It creaks. It makes noises. It's nothing. Plus, he doesn't want to lose sight of his country music venue dream or have spook spook talk going off that's going to scare any future patrons away. This place, you know, has a seemingly dark past with pregnant women. Poor Janet starts to immediately experience some some weird shit right off the bat she hears noises she feels like she's not only being watched ashley it but she describes it as being stalked i don't some, like it no some, by something she can't see it gives me chills just hearing that because i mean that's a perfect word you can feel it's not like someone just looking at you but someone actively following you yeah meanwhile carl's also having experiences he's hearing random noises coming from the back coming from the basement coming from upstairs voices just everywhere and the intense feeling also of being watched oh my goodness but Carl actually starts to see apparitions. He's just trying to, to work hard and make a way for himself in life. He's just a young buck <laughs> who wants to make a buck. That's right. Honest living. So Carl told Bobby that he wasn't about that ghost life, but he was freaking out about what was happening because it had to be ghosts, right? Like, what else could this be? Bobby was not having it. And he basically said, listen, this isn't good for business. Knock it off. There's nothing here. I've never even seen or heard anything. But he doesn't even go to tell Carl that Janet's like had the same experiences. He's like, y'all two just shut up. He's keeping it quiet, hush, hush, because mm-hmm. he he is excited about his honky tonk. That's right. Hell bent. <laughs> Hell bent, if you will. <laughs> and Carl said, yeah, cool, cool. You're right. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll just sleep with my gun every night, which is what he did. Because that works on ghosts. That, yes. It worked on the bell witch. It sure did. Not. Not. <laughs> By the time Carl had mentioned all of this to Bobby, he only did it because he'd had so many experiences. He was starting to feel very unsafe. And these things didn't stop with Janet either. One afternoon, she was back in the kitchen cleaning up and Carl was somewhere up front working. And Janet says that something began pushing on her and it became increasingly stronger until she felt it push her over to the the metal kitchen sink and push her face down into the sink. 
I do not like that. No. And so she's holding on to either side of the sink and she's struggling and she sees that it is now filled with what she can only describe as blood. Blood? Mm-hmm. What in the Pennywise hell? I don't know. There's a lot of blood wells, blood sinks. There's a lot of blood here. Take oh. a shot every time Ash says blood. <laughs> Carl came in and saw her struggling and whatever had a hold of Janet let go as Carl came in. But Carl did not see the sink full of blood. Take Josh. a shot. Now they've had a shared experience somewhat. Carl saw the tail end of something. And so they start to talk about how they're both experiencing pretty similar shit that they've had to keep to themselves because Bobby doesn't believe them. So that was validating for both of them. They swap stories and then Janet says, Carl, listen, I've got to take a break and and not come back here for a little while, but I want you to keep me up to speed on everything. Don't hold back. If something happens, I want you to feel like you can talk to me. She knew how scary it was. And it probably helps to know that you're not alone. Oh, yeah. That's that validation. So he continues to work on the property, though, with Bobby. So (laughs) what's happening? They don't want us to talk about it. Carl continues to work on the property with Bobby, even though, you know, shit won't quit. Bobby's in and out. Carl was alone a lot at the property, more than anyone else. One night he's cleaning and stacking chairs on the table when he hears noises behind the bar. And he claims that glasses started flying and shattering against the wall, the floor, just flying out of nowhere. I mean, this bar's got spirits and spirits. Yeah, that's right. If he ever has an offshoot bar. I mean, it was a missed opportunity on Robert Bobby. <laughs> Robert Randall's part. <laughs> Damn it, Bobby. So he's scared, so he starts running. But then something stops him because a chair falls off of the tables where he was just stacking chairs. So he kind of like runs a circle, right? And he's, he loops back and he's looking around trying to see what's going on. And it's dark in there. Right? Ew. He goes back there. And he's looking around because, you know, there's like a chair that falls off here. And then there's two that fall off like four tables over. And it's almost like somebody is running in between the tables, just knocking these chairs off. I don't like it. Yeah, Carl didn't either, so he hightailed it out of there. Janet comes back by with her and Bobby's younger daughter, and she goes off to talk to Carl. Their younger daughter is walking around, and she's smelling the strong aroma of roses. Aww. Yeah, but something is also there making her feel a little uneasy. Uh Uh-oh. Meanwhile, Carl is telling Janet how a few nights ago he got very drunk and recalls smelling an intense aroma of roses. Following the smell, he comes across a young woman who told him that her name was Johanna. I knew it. Now, she didn't appear to be a threatening spirit, nothing like what had previously been messing with Janet. And so Carl assures Janet not to worry because Carl would always be around. Her daughter and Bobby emerge and the daughter's like, this place ain't right, you know, because she was just smelling roses and now she's feeling scared and doesn't know why. And Bobby wants nothing to do with that noise. And him and Janet get into a big argument and she takes her daughter and leaves. And Bobby's heated because he just wants to live out his goddamn dream. I know. Like yeah. nothing's going to stop him. No, nothing. Fast forward a bit. Janet decides to come back and help with the property again after her little break. And she asks Carl, how have things been going? He says, honestly, it's been quiet for a while. And Janet's relieved because maybe this means that things have finally settled, but she can come back. Mm-hmm. Well. Oh, no. Yeah. This is the day that things would go too far for Janet. Because remember, she's pregnant. I'm scared. She's on a ladder and she's working on a landing. And she starts to hear some noises. And she feels some rattling of the ladder. Then it kind of starts to shake and she stumbles down off of it. And as she's standing there, you know, baffled, she swears that she sees a male apparition with a handlebar mustache that she will later on go to say that she believes is Alonzo Walling. It's just bizarre to me that people can live to tell the tale that they saw an apparition like that. I would literally just... 
just my spirit would leave my body and float away. I would just <laughs> fall over dead. <laughs> she says that this apparition grabs her by the waist and throws her down the stairs screaming, get out, before disappearing. Ooh. And you know what she did? She got the fuck out. Way to go, Janet. Yes, it sir. takes it takes a woman. <laughs> <laughs> to just be like, you know what? I think I'm going to leave this portal to hell. Uh, you know, it's just, it's not as fun as they said it would be. <laughs> False advertisement. Seriously, Damn. She got the buck out of there. She sure did. And she said, Bobby, I've had it. And I ain't never coming back. And she never did. She refused from that day on to step foot back in that bar. Good for her. Mm-hmm. So now, though, Carl's completely on his own in this shit. And Bobby doesn't want to believe shit. So Carl doesn't feel like he wants to tell anyone because he's afraid that they'll just think he's crazy. I mean, valid. So he just sits there, you know, every night terrorized by whatever the fuck's going on in the nightclub. But he is comforted to know that Johanna's there. And there's also another female there. And her name is Pearl. Sweet Pearl. Mm -hmm. During a storm one night, Carl was again alone because he lives there. And he starts hearing noises in the basement. And something tears up the stairs from the basement, blows open his apartment door. And it is a black shadow person with glowing red eyes. That Mm. is terrifying. It's like a freaking sleep paralysis isn't it it is and i'm i can attest to that oh no Mm, another time yes it pounces on carl and it curls its shadowy black hands around his neck and just starts squeezing no thanks everything starts to fade to tunnel vision as carl tries to fight it off but then he wakes up it It was was only just a dream Thanks, Nelly. Thanks, Tim McGraw. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it was only just a dream. He did wake up super sweaty and his heart was pounding. It is actually storming outside. So I think the exterior sounds somehow made their way into this fucking nightmare. And he decides, I'm still going to grab my gun and I'm going to go take a walk through the basement and the bar just to make sure that there's nothing actually going on down there. And everything was quiet except for the storm outside. He double checks the jukebox, but he unplugged it because, you know, if there's a surge during the storm he didn't want to ruin bobby's jukebox right so he unplugs that and then he continues through the dark bar making his way down to the basement and that's when carl hears a loud crack of thunder and the power goes out Uh oh so he stumbles down the stairs because he can't see and he sees a fireball come up out of the blood well are you freaking kidding me right now that's what he says he sees this fireball shoot up out of that well and then he sees the same red-eyed shadow demon from his dreams wow he totally like he saw the future he did in his dream sure did and it screams get out (laughs) like you don't have to tell me twice i'm done go bye and then he felt its shadowy fingers wrap tightly around his neck and try to strangle him but this time it was real god that is so scary i know run carl so carl's fighting and he's trying to get loose and he hears a voice say kill him but one voice turns into a choir of voices saying kill him Oh, I don't like it. That didn't work well for the Amityville. No, it did Mm. not. You're right. (laughs) Carl manages to get loose, but as he runs past this sacrificial well, he sees a female head inside of it before he bolts up the stairs and out the bar. He sees Pearl's head? He sees what he says was a floating female head, and he believes that to be the head of Pearl Bryan. Carl, he's probably just checked out by now. He is done. (laughs) He is gone. Nobody's home. You know, one would think that this would be enough to make you never return. No, he just hops in his car and drives off to his local church to grab some holy water. Okay, let's see uh, if this helps at all. Under his eye. So... (laughs) (laughs) 
now, despite his poor luck with Bobby, he's like, I'm going to fucking tell this anyways. I'm going to tell Bobby about this demon. And he does. And Bobby basically says, Carl, you've got to stop this. Between you and Janet, these stories are going to have me shut down before I even open the damn place. Again, Bobby's just worried about himself here. That's right. He wants to make that dollar. That's right. Constantly running into roadblocks with opening the bar. Another hurdle is about to derail Bobby's progress. Another night, not long after Carl had told him about this basement demon and floating head in the well, a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Everything can be turned Too into a song. Fucking well of fire. <laughs> <laughs> So, not long after, a section of the bar catches on fire. Are you kidding me? Like, what next? Right. Um, and Carl was a volunteer fireman, so he actually had the scanner in his room going when the call for the fire came through. So, I don't know if somebody was driving the road and saw it on fire, but Carl, remember, lived in the apartment above there. Did you not smell the flames? I don't know. Maybe he thought it was just the demon sulfur. <laughs> he was yeah. smelling the roses. Yeah. Or maybe he was like, finally, this place is just going to get burnt the fuck down. <laughs> Set it ablaze! <laughs> Carl races down there and he helps the other firefighters that arrive extinguish the flames. And then Bobby rolls up and you can imagine he's pretty pissed. Oh, yeah. After extinguishing the fire, Carl and Bobby do a walkthrough and Bobby says he thinks it's all good. He wants to go back home to pregnant Janet. And he asks Carl to check the management office before he goes back to his apartment just to make sure that nothing is missing or damaged up there. Okay. Carl agrees, even though he's hesitant as fuck, because, you know, the minute he starts walking up those stairs, he can already feel the bad vibes that are just radiating from inside. Yeah, he knows the vibes are there. He knows something's about to happen. So just as he suspected, he was not alone. He enters the office and a voice greets him, mocking him. Where is your holy water now, Carl? Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. And Carl puffs out his chest and he's like, what do you want? You know, why won't you leave me alone? <laughs> This voice is like, I'm Alonzo Walling, and if you don't stop interfering here, shit's going to get a lot worse for you, brother. I mean, I would expect no less from a mob boss. Well, no, this was a satanic cultist <gasps> oh, dental student. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he says, if you keep interfering, it's going to get a lot worse for you because there's a lot more like me here at 44 Lickin' Pike. There's a gaggle. A gaggle of demons. Between Janet and Carl, now the fire, it appears that whatever is here is trying to sabotage anyone's attempts to open this damn nightclub. But Bobby does finally open and patrons start funneling in. Not long after this, though, Carl starts drinking a lot more than he already was. I am not surprised. And everybody starts noticing his change of behavior. But I imagine at this point that he's been sleep deprived. He's traumatized by whatever the fuck he's been seeing, whether it's real or not. And now his drinking has just gotten way out of control. Carl's gone from this sweet young man to this rude, intolerant jerk. He's making rude comments that are way off character for him to the staff. He's getting easily pissed off by any and everything. And he even starts talking shit to patrons. It sounds like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. Yeah, sounds, sounds sinister, babe. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> One woman recounts sitting at the end of the bar and Carl's just talking shit to her nonstop. I mean, rude, hateful comments. I think he even says something about, you know, in a condescending way, be careful on your way home. Don't let anything bad happen. I don't know if it was her drinking or if Carl had any influence here, but she swears that the mechanics of the car failed and she ran off the road into a guardrail. It sounds like he cut the brake line. I don't know if Carl was that smart. <laughs> Maybe the drinking sharpened his senses. Yeah, you know, that's right. It made him smarter. And that's what they said in the Bill Witch. 
with Carl's shitty behavior becoming a big issue amongst both the staff and, you know, patrons, Bobby pulls him aside and he's like, what the hell is going on? And I think it's at this point that Carl tells Bobby that he's no longer in control. Oh, no. He's been infected. Yeah, by the devil. Oh, the devil. Bobby says, okay, I'm going to talk to a friend of mine who knows someone at the church, and they managed to set up one of a few exorcisms for Carl. And the first one goes off without a hitch. You've got some of your general theatrics of an exorcism that happened, and then Carl's like, I'm healed, and tells Bobby, hey, thanks, I'm great now, all the scaries are gone. He's lying. He's a lying motherbucker. <laughs> Sounds like it. Carl was still allegedly possessed, but by multiple entities at this point. It sounds like the end of paranormal activity when she's laying there and she's smiling in the bed. And then we all know she's got a demon, a dark passenger, as Dexter would say, that was all a lie. And he's still terrified beyond belief. The last night, Carl was completely terrorized by all the spirits. He would spend hours running throughout the bar. He could not get out. He felt like the bar was alive. The walls were swelling. They were dripping with blood in the basement. The ground was shaking. He found himself up in the attic where the spotlight room was, and he felt this intense need to pull up the floorboards. And there is where he found the journal of Johanna. Oh, yeah. I wonder where that is today. I, I would love to know if it's real. Oh, yeah. It would help with a lot. This is validating for him because Johanna's real. Okay. The journal contained multiple entries about her affair with Robert Randall, poems, and just all the disdain over her father not letting them be together. So that kind of validated that story in Carl's mind. But that was probably the only nice part of that evening. As the night grew longer, Carl, you know, feeling trapped. He tries to hide in one of the walls of the bar and he pulls a panel back and there's a tiny man inside. <laughs> there is a tiny man in the wall. There's a tiny man in the wall of Robert Bobby Randall's <laughs> bar. <laughs> that sounds kind of cute. It sounds cute, but I think it was more of a demon man. Oh, no. Well, a little it, tiny demon a man. A little tiny demon man. But, Tiny demon man in my head. Oh, boy. Hold me close, tiny demon man. <laughs> I mean, nobody was in the bar with him, but he says he saw him. This night would fuck with Carl so bad that he's actually going to go back to the priest and beg for him to exercise him again because the demons were still using him as a meat puppet. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, Carl's not here anymore. <laughs> Carl has left the building. <laughs> Bobby's friend, Doug Hensley, who will later go on to write the book, The Exorcism of Carl Lawson, which has way more juicy deets than what I have. Doug and the priest come back to conduct another long exorcism on Carl. I believe there was also an officer there because there are also some accounts from police officers. So you'll have to look those up. They were the only people present with Carl during this last exorcism. So the priest and Carl are in the kitchen and Doug and this officer are in the other room. And during this exorcism, Carl claims to be multiple entities, but mainly someone named Charlie. And I'm not sure who this Charlie is. Carl is wailing, Carl, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he's cursing his mother and he's letting out random screams and all that before Carl's voice literally changes. You're talking to Alonzo now. Oh, no, that's not a good sign. No. And he says to the priest, you don't scare me. He keeps telling the priest that we'll never leave Carl because they like it here. I bet they do. Mm -hmm. Cozy Carl. Come on down to the Cozy Carl. 
<laughs> Get yourself a righteous possession. That's right. The priest repeats over and over, no, I'm going to help Carl. You know, leave Carl, leave him. Carl falls to the floor, screams, fuck you, the man of God. Fuck everybody. We've been here for a thousand years and we ain't leaving. Oh, my God. I will see myself <laughs> out. <laughs> okay, bye. These exorcisms can be found on YouTube. For all the world to see. For the entire world to see. Okay, so hit pause right now and run over to YouTube <laughs> and watch the shit show. There are three parts, so I can link those in the show notes with what little sources I have. <laughs> <laughs> this is for entertainment purposes. By the end of it, Carl was determined to be exercised of all the evil entities that plagued him. And full circle, when I was sitting at the lunch table hearing all those stories about the man that was possessed at Bobby Mackey's. Yeah. It was 1991 and that little boy was telling me the story in real time dang yeah. Yeah. that would be so scary as a first grader hearing about <laughs> demonic possession but again in a catholic school right carl suffered multiple physical injuries mental breakdowns and severe alcoholism but no matter what he felt bound to bobby's he would continue to work there for several years still claiming that he could feel the spirits around him but they were no longer in him I would have already been living in a box down by the river <laughs> no. instead of living at Bobby Mackey's. He learned how to cohabitate. Unfortunately for Carl, though, his alcoholism would get the best of him, and he did end up passing in 2012. Oh, poor Carl. Yeah, RIP. I still think that Carl fought a lot of personal demons rather than the sinister demons in his stories. But, you know, Bobby's managed to make a shit ton of money off of these experiences of Carl and many others. I bet he has. Yeah. So he had that successful honky-tonk yeah. after all. People come from all over to see the haunted honky-tonk of Northern Kentucky. I'd be afraid I'd see a head. <laughs> I don't. Having personally been to Bobby Maggie's, I can tell you that the only thing scary here is the red lighting. The visual I'm seeing, it looks like it would be insanely scary. Sinister vibes <laughs> and... <laughs> But regardless, the history of Bobby Mackey's music world is insanely crazy, and it makes for one hell of a story. Yes, it does. This story had all kinds of twists and turns and <laughs> smells. <laughs> That's how I knew the story growing up. If anybody listening has any stories from Bobby Mackey's, we'd love to hear it. Oh, absolutely. You know, or really, any stories from anywhere that you are. Yes, we would love to hear it. You can send us those stories at hexgirlfriendspodcast at gmail.com do i hear the owl hooting oh shit i gotta go we gotta go <laughs> bye bye